Welcome listeners to our brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we've got a really special treat because we have with us Ruxana Hussein, who is a journalist, but also the publisher and editor of a digital travel magazine, which we've never spoken to anyone like that before. So Ruxana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. We're very glad to have you. I'm very curious about the whole travel magazine stuff, but I want to start first with how did you get into journalism or how did everything start? So I've always had an inclination to work with words and tell stories. That's always been the case for me. I'm one of those kids that in school would sign up for all the essay competitions and that kind of thing, which eventually translated to, in the real world, wanting to work in media. I ended up doing a lot of corporate communications work and eventually found myself to magazine and editorial. And then a lot of freelance writing, which went into travel writing, which has built up into my publishing business. So that's kind of the gist of it. We got a follow-up question now. So when you say that as a kid, you were always kind of signing up for the essay stuff, were you also very big reader as a kid and then also like oh she's also a really good writer it's just like I just love this stuff I just want to keep doing it sort of thing oh yes I, I definitely read a lot I was always at the library I loved taking books out boring books all the time even on vacation we would end up at the lending libraries that you could go public libraries and pick up books there yeah and I've always liked how certain words flow or certain sentences are said a certain way for some reason that's me so I'm actually a bad person when it comes to listening to audio things because I pick up on certain sentences and words I'll be like, oh, that sounds like a great entrance to this next story I'm going to write. <laughs> oh, so so I start focusing on the words and how they're used. So that's sort of just been, been me all always. From what you described, it seems like everything has been, I guess you could say, nonfiction oriented. Was that also part of the plan or is that kind of just where things went? It's just where things went. I like a lot more telling stories of people around me, people I meet, and the experiences I have. So it's sort of just built its way that, that way. So you read a lot of fiction, but you didn't necessarily think of that you were going to be writing a lot of fiction. No. Because if you were going to tell me you read a lot of nonfiction as a kid, that would be very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I think that's something as you read and you sort of expand your vocabulary and your sort of reading styles, then you find out that there's all these other genres of, of reading. And then eventually I found myself as an adult, I think I tend to lean more towards sort of autobiographies, those kinds of things. Eventually, yeah, that's sort of how it, it led into that. But I definitely started with a lot of creative fiction stories, for sure. Right. Well, and just to, because there's a listener somewhere who's yelling at, at the screen right now, or whatever their phone, whatever they're listening from, they are definitely working on nonfiction for kids to make it much more of a narrative nonfiction sort of style. That way, uh -huh. the kids will have access to that. Anything for more reading and more books is great. Yes. So did you do specific schooling for this or what did you do after you graduated? What, did you just get internships right away or what happened then? I actually did not. So interestingly, I went to college for sociology. I have a bachelor's in sociology. I was born in India, raised partly in India, and I was sort of not allowed to study journalism. It wasn't considered a profession that would be safe for a woman in India at the time. We're talking about the 90s, early to mid-90s. So I ended up not being able to study journalism at all. And so that's sort of how I ended up in corporate communications, was another way for me to work with words and tell stories, but not necessarily from a journalistic lens. 
But I just eventually found myself there anyway. So it was a lot of learning on the job rather than having gone to school for it. So no, I do not have a degree in journalism or media of any kind. Everything that I've learned is pretty much on the job. And then sort of investing in myself and doing like these little courses and certificates along the way to build upon that. Wow. It sort of preempted the question of because when you look at these lists and charts that they have of like the most useless degree you can earn, it's usually an English <laughs> degree and then a journalism degree. So you actually got a little bit more of a practical degree before. But what's I, when you say you're in college, I guess, in India in the 90s, and you say that it wasn't something for women to study, the specific reason was because not necessarily what cultural expectations, but specifically the safety factor was the main factor of that of why they didn't really want women in the journalism profession. It was more of a familial thing. I was raised in the southeast in India. It was a little bit more of a conservative family background. I was raised Muslim, so it wasn't really encouraged for women to be out and about working in a male-dominated society with a lot of late hours or, you know, things like that. And of course, the safety factor does automatically fall in when you're talking about not doing work in the cities, but, you know, maybe going into the villages and further out from the main metro areas. And in those days, you definitely did not have as much access to the internet and things like that. So definitely a cause for concern. I can see it now. I probably did not see it at the time when my parents were against me studying journalism. As an older adult now, I definitely get their concerns and I I see where they were coming from for sure. Yeah, because it sounds like there's a double, there's physical safety and also what they would deem, I guess you could say character safety or spiritual safety or something like that. If you're going to be the only woman in the room, then it's coming from the other perspective of don't put yourself in that situation. Just don't be the only one in the room kind of thing. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Well, I don't know if you could guess, Mitt, is that kind of still the general attitude of what's going on there now or has some of that shifted somewhat? it's shifted it's definitely improved but there's still a lot of that for sure depending on you know where your family's from and what sort of background or upbringing you had there's certainly a certain amount of curbing of what women can do i feel depending on where you're staying and which which, you know which cities you are in if they're a little bit more broad-minded towards women being out and about at a certain hour there's still some of that to be to be accounted for yeah so the south where you were is that there's more muslims down there so it's a little bit more stricter in that regard no, not necessarily. Oh, okay. um, it's definitely more of our family upbringing. We were just a little bit more conservative. And I did say partly raised in India. So I was partly raised in India and partly in Oman. And okay. so the constant back and forth of having a different life that was more protected in Oman than coming to India where everything's very different, the culture shock of it. I think it was just something that my parents were trying to protect me from. Again, like I said, as a child, I did not understand any of it. Now, as an adult, I definitely see what what they were trying to do. It's just being very careful and very caring for their child, that's for sure. Yeah. I once spoke to, she writes romances, Sonali Dev. She's also, well, actually, I don't remember. I know her family's Indian. I don't remember where she was. I think she was also born in India. I made certain mistakes in what I was asking about in the sense that I was asking very broad questions about Indian culture. And she's like, it's not like that. There's a lot of different kinds of people. So I'm trying to be a little, <laughs> right, so I'm trying to be a little bit more specific to make sure that I'm not making that same mistake of just assuming that you have this massive country and everything is exactly the same across everywhere. Because that's, it's interesting when we, especially anyone growing up in America, we think that the whole world must operate this way. And it's just not, it doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. Nope. Yeah. It's something also, when you talk about safety and going out, you know, as a journalist, if you have to chase down a story, especially if you're not a big metropolitan city. I remember I was in Thailand a while ago, many, many years ago, but there was a moment when I thought like, if I get lost somewhere, I cannot readily get help if I'm lost somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Right. 
It doesn't work like that. I don't just have my cell phone with me and must be within 50 miles of an English speaking farmer or something, or I don't even know that it doesn't, you're in a new place. You gotta understand that it's different. So when you speak about these things, like it does lines up. Yes. Okay, so then when you say corporate communication, what does that look like? What does that entail? Or at least what you do? Um, corporate communications, it was more website content for the company that I worked for, you know, writing media releases, press releases, compiling marketing, brochures for products, those kinds of things. Did you feel that a lot of that was just make sure that your content is just clean, easy to read, etc.? Or was there also you needed a lot of space for creativity or try to get something eye-catchy or that's going to pull, like, a, you know, headline kind of style? Yeah, there was a mix of both. I mean, there were some things that were sort of very um, regimented, you know, press releases could only look a certain way. You can't really get very creative with those things. But then you're helping someone with a feature story or trying to do something more creative, like an internal company newsletter, there's a lot of leeway for creativity there. That's eight hours a day or whatever your workday was. Every five days a week, you're dealing with the content and all this sort of stuff. That's how much all the writing and the reviewing, all that takes that amount of time. Absolutely. And in the wow. company that I work for, it definitely did. Well, you're also overseeing layout and things like that? Sometimes for things like internal newsletters, brochures, we definitely worked with the design team to sort of look at what colors and layouts and fonts would work well. That's your magazine store right there. Yes, <laughs> that sort of built the base for, for my magazine. Yeah, definitely the starting point for a lot of things. Well, why was travel the thing that you chose to do the magazine for? So I do a bunch of different writing. Travel happens to be one of them. I chose to do the magazine for a couple of different reasons. One was mainly because I felt like there were a lot of stories that I wanted to tell that I couldn't do for other outlets because they're so specific to the audience or the themes that they're catering to. And I felt like that didn't necessarily have to be the case. So I definitely feel like a lot of magazines are more aligned with who their advertisers are and as a result of that, who their consumers are. So you definitely see like, these are budget magazines. These are sort of the middle layer. And then these are sort of like the luxury, you know, high-end magazines. And so your stories and copy are very aligned to those. You can only write about luxury and luxury magazines. But I feel like as a traveler myself, I don't necessarily prescribe to that, that idea that if I travel luxury once, I will always want to travel luxury. People are a mix. If I am one person that feels that way, I think there's definitely a lot of people out there that feel that way. So I started the magazine to sort of cater to that idea of, you really shouldn't be dictated on what your travel experience should be. It's a very personal experience, and it can mean so many different things to so many people. So I definitely wanted it to be an inspirational outlet that people read and want to go there. But I didn't want to be the magazine that tells people, these are your five must-do bucket list summer destinations. Yeah. And we have so much of that happening now with social media, the whole like FOMO, YOLO, whatever. <laughs> All of that happening, and it's just because of all these comparisons and wanting to put people in categories and boxes and say, if you are this sort of person, this is the sort of thing you should buy, or these are the experiences you should have. And I just felt like that shouldn't be that way. I think it should be an open discussion. These are your options, and, you know, choose what you want. That's really why I started the magazine. <laughs> It was travel specifically just because you wanted to write stories from all over or there was something versus doing some sort of open, just like an open sort of magazine or some sort of literary magazine. Why was it travel specifically? I did a lot of travel anyway. So oh, it, was okay. a, it was something that I could pull from automatically instead of having to work additionally to do it. Right. I had a well of stories that I could already translate into my own magazine versus, like you said, you know, if I did a literary journal or something, then I'd have to sit down and call all of those stories, get submissions. I'd have to be doing a whole new set of processes for that. But here I already had everything in hand. In your words, would you say 
and you did sort of some part partially answer this, but we'll give another answer for that. Most of your articles are just about, hey, I went to this place and this is what it was like for me, or how would you describe the focus of your... So are you asking about when I write for the magazine or when I write other different outlets that I write for? We'll start with the magazine first, because we're, we're, we're keeping the focus here right now. Sure. On my own magazine, it's definitely trying to be more resourceful and helpful. So what I try to do is share all the experiences I had personally that I can vouch for that I enjoyed or did not enjoy. You know, either way, it, it goes on there because it's digital. I can share all the links for all the businesses or experiences I had. And then people can directly click on that and be taken to the business and do their own reservations and planning, whatever. So my focus with the magazine is definitely to be, here's a great destination for you to go to. These are all the experiences I had. With one click, you can go directly to the business and you can decide for yourself if you want to have that same experience. So it's definitely wanting to be full of resources and very helpful for people to plan their trips if they choose to do that through the magazine. As far as the other outlets I write for, it totally depends on the target audience that they're catering to. One of the outlets I write for focuses very heavily on the African-American community and the diaspora. So I write for very specifically targeted to that audience. Another one is very much about road trips. Third magazine I write for is very much for corporate travel. So depending on all of that, I have to sort of change my article, my tone, the highlights that I share, depending on that audience. All of these are travel, specifically uh, travel stuff. Mm -hmm. All of this is travel. Is it you go to a place and then you figure out articles that can work for each of these outlets or are you sometimes flown to certain places to check them out for the outlet? It works both ways. Is it good when they send you because they pay for your trip, but then you kind of have to go to the places to certain checklist kind of places? Or how does that work? When you say they send you, are you talking about the outlet? The outlets, yes. So as a freelancer, I almost always never get sent anywhere by an outlet. I do everything myself. I work with the destination directly to see if they would like to bring me in. I happen to be at the destination and find something interesting and want to turn that into a story. So it works directly with the location or the venue or the experience rather than through the outlets I'm writing for as a freelancer. Oh, okay. When you say the destination, is that their tourist bureau or something? or Their tourism bureau, yes. So you've got all this big portfolio now. And you're like, hey, I'm this travel writer. This is what I look at, etc. You seem like a good fit. Let's work something out sort of thing. And then do they come <laughs> back to you and say, yeah, great. We'd love to have you. We have a new museum in town or a new hotel or whatever. We just redid a historic district, come check it out? Or in, even in simple terms, like what does that sort of look like? So it depends on what the destination is. So if I'm, let's say I was recently at a conference in another city, I was like, okay, I'm here for three days. Let me reach out to the tourism bureau and see if they want to work with me as a travel writer and show me around so I can, you know, share some of what their latest experiences and activities are. So I reached out to them. They were happy to have me. So they helped with organizing my itinerary. I told them what outlets I write for, what my focus areas are. And then they put something together. So when I got there, I was able to experience all these different things and then write my story based on that. But then there's been other times where I've had destinations reach out to me directly being, hey, we're doing a little media trip with a bunch of folks to show them our little city here. Would you like to come see and experience everything and write a story about that? And so I, I say yes or no, depending on what they're offering me and if it makes sense for the outlets I'm writing for. Oh, very good. Let's say you did work with the Tourism Bureau. You reached out to them, they reached out to you. You have, on the one hand, you want to paint everything in a good light, but at the same time, you got readers to consider. You don't want them going somewhere with certain expectations. Sure. So how do you balance that? Or do you even balance that? Or what do you do about that? For the most part, I feel like I have had great experiences. If there is an occasion where I haven't, and that has been very few and far between, I definitely reach back out to the Tourism Bureau and say, this is the experience I had. So I can choose to either put it that way or not include it in the article itself, because... 
at the end of the day, I don't want that backfiring on them. Yeah. But also, I don't want to say something and then lie about what that experience was because it is my byline on that page. Right. So you can't have someone going there and then writing back. And people do write back. You will be surprised. People will find your, your website, even as a freelancer. They'll try to look you up and then they will write to you. And they're nice. People will tell you that they, they love the itinerary you provided and they enjoyed everything. But at the same time, they will also mail you back and say, like, you told us this place was open and this place is not open anymore. Oh. And it's like, hold on now. I can't guarantee what business stays open or not. Right, right. <laughs> so things like that. So they will definitely write back and let you know if an experience was very different for them than for you. So oh. you definitely want to make sure you're not making everything sound like flowers and gardens. It's not necessarily always that. Yeah, or if it's like a six-month exhibit, don't tell them it's going to be open forever. Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're doing, is it more about experiencing the place? Does some of that also include food and restaurants, or it could be anything? It could be anything. I do cover food and restaurants, because that is obviously the number one thing people look up for, is where to eat and drink right. when they go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do focus a lot on outdoor activities i focus a lot on more unique experiences that you can have in a certain area and definitely museums or art galleries because there's so much to learn from there so i try to include and make it like a much rounded article for the most part so that people no matter whether they have families or they're solo travelers or couples they all have something they can take from that well yeah that's great well it also seems like it could be easier to say i went to this museum and if you're into this this is a good place to go. So you could be much more specific, kind of who might be attracted to that versus if you go to a restaurant with bad food, you can't, if you don't care about flavor, go to the restaurant. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then going back to your specific publication, did you choose to do it as a digital magazine? Is that, was that just like a, a thing of economics or is that just an easier thing to have done? Why digital and not print? What were some considerations that you, that went into that? So digital is definitely much more easier to produce. Print, you have a lot of costs associated with it. You're looking at a printing press. You're looking at printing timelines, very much sticking to the schedule. And of course, the environmental factor of paper being used for print. So there's a lot of those things to consider. On the other side, digital, everything is done on my laptop. I can do it from anywhere. I mostly have a schedule, but you know, if that schedule goes back and forth by a day or two, it's not like the printing press is hounding me with phone calls for why my copy isn't in on time. Yeah. I also felt like digital was good for me to see what my readership would be because I can tell how many people are subscribing, how many are reading which articles. I can see in the back end who's clicking which links. And those right. are things you would never get to see in print. So there were a couple of different things to make that decision for me. It's also, like you said, you could link to a business or something. That's fabulous right i want to see right yeah. now what you're talking about that's great just practically speaking mm -hmm. yeah. yep do you have a specific schedule of like try to write two three four five articles a week or is it just sometimes there's more sometimes there's less i work on my magazine for at least an hour or two every day if i can help it and yeah it's a lot of looking at stories that i have because the travel stories are three big stories in the magazine but there's a lot of other stories I share too outdoor activities hotels that are coming up museum spotlights restaurant reviews so there's so many other topics and sometimes those are not necessarily all written by me I have to source that information source those photos talk to those businesses get quotes and comments if I want to so there's a bunch of those things that need to happen so I try to put in an hour or two every day if I can not always what happens, because sometimes I do have deadlines for my other writing assignments that I might have to move things around for, but definitely an hour a day if I can swing that in. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's say that if you're part of one of these, if you've worked something out with one of these tourism bureaus or, or something like, or anybody, anybody, if you're going something for them, what does your turnaround time look like for that? You go on the trip, 
You have a week or two to, to get an article in? You have a day? You know, what, what kind of time have you got? Average. Now, most of yeah. my outlets and including my magazine is a monthly. Most of the outlets I write for are either monthly or, you know, every two or three months, depending on what outlet that is, what frequency they do. So my promise to the tourism bureau or destination or company I'm working with for deliverables is usually anywhere between two to three weeks from the visit to almost three to four months after. And those are the outlets that I write for regularly. There's always the opportunity to pitch and write for a completely different outlet on a later date, you know, depending on my schedule or what themes and calls for pitches that I see online. So there's always that that can happen outside of the time frame that I promise to deliver stories within. Right. Are you always tracking travel magazines to see what's up with them and see, oh, they just ran something. I think I got articles that would go along with it. I actually don't do that. I'm always online. I do a lot of uh, tracking calls for pitches online on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. And then when I see one of those, I'll go back and look at a couple of their issues or look at a couple of their stories online to get a feel for whether I have a pitch that would be good for them. Let's say you've been to a place, you went somewhere a year ago, and then you'll see something, or even two, three, however long you want it to be. And then you see something, you're like, oh, I actually have something with that because I visited wherever 18 months ago. But how do you keep track of your visits so you remember everything from 18 months ago? Copious notes. Lots and lots of notes. (laughs) I have lots of notes from my visits, lots of pictures too. I'll sit down and take a day or two to organize it by day, by business, by experience. So I have it all labeled and ready to go. And so that way, since it's all online, even if something comes up about, I don't know, the weirdest fruit you ate in Latin America or something like that, I can always look up weird fruit or something on my on my oh, own wow. documents on, on my computer. Yeah. And it will pull up. If I've used that term, it will pull up. So it makes things a little easier that way. But everything's stored on here and on the cloud. And I make sure that I put down all my notes as soon as I get back from a trip. So you kind of create your own search tags for your own notes, sort of. Yes. Oh, wow. That sounds so organized. You kind of have to be. If you're doing your own work, plus travel, plus writing for other outlets, you kind of have to be really organized to be able to get everything out and going by deadline. Yeah, wow. Do you ever go back to places to, not because, oh, I liked it here, so I'm going to go revisit, but you go back because I want to re-experience X or because I didn't see X and I really want to see X. Or do you always try to just go somewhere new? I wish I had the time to go back to places because every place I go to, I want to go back five more times. Unfortunately, no, I do not have that that luxury. Before I know it, I have the next three months packed with trips to other places. So it makes it a little difficult, but in a way, it's also good because that gives me much more fodder to create the stories for new destinations that I want to. So yeah, there's a little bit of a plus and minus there. Do you have one of those maps with the pins in the places you've been in the world? No, I actually, there's an online, I forget where it is, but I mean, you can look it up. There's a couple of different sites that do this, but every once in a while, I'll go and look up this map and and look at places I've been to. But I haven't been to many, I'll tell you that. I definitely have not been to too many countries. I've been to quite a few cities across the U.S. I certainly don't like to obsess over the fact of where I've been or not been. That's sort of not the, yeah, not the idea, but I certainly like to be inspired by it looking at a map and going, oh yeah, I remember I went to that city. Maybe I should look back at my notes and see what stories I haven't filled in there. So I use it more for that purpose. Yeah, no, that's great. I know someone who very much into the United States has so much to offer. We have nature and and then the cities and then this, that. I'm going to make sure my kids see all 50 states and then we can worry about going to Europe or other places. I want them to see the U.S. first. This is our country. I want them to see their country. So you say you've been to a lot of cities in the U.S. I don't think a lot of people have been to a lot of cities in the U.S. <laughs> That's 
that's true though. It's very true. And it's surprising because sometimes when I approach these different cities asking to work with them, they'll usually come back with, are you sure? <laughs> and I'll have to like tell them, well, here's the research I've done. These are the places from online that I think would work well for the outlets I write for. And then, you know, we work from there. But it's very surprising sometimes because even the cities don't necessarily realize how much tourism potential they have. Wow, that's amazing. Do you know the names of like a lot of what people might think random cities in the U.S. And it's like, oh, that's located in Iowa. And people are, how do you even know this? Do you get that a lot? I do. And it's quite funny when that happens or when I tell them about, yeah, this place that I went to recently. And they're like, that is here in the U.S.? <laughs> well, yeah, it sure is. <laughs> that's pretty amazing, actually. You sort of described before that if you go to a conference somewhere, it's three days, you'll try to check out the city. Do you have for yourself a minimum amount of time that you want to spend in a place before you write an article about it? Or it's like, you know, if I could spend two, three hours in a museum or at a park somewhere, then I can write just specifically about that park. Well, yeah, if it's definitely one or two venues that I'm very focused on, then I will just want to experience that. But if it's about a city and you're trying to tell people what to do there, you know, where to go, where they can spend their time, I definitely would say about four days, five days is a good amount of time to do a lot of research, but then also give yourself some time to sort of chance upon those unexpected gems that you maybe had not planned for, but you see it along the way. Yeah. Well, even though you didn't want to write the magazine of like the five must-sees or whatever, do you ever check those out before you travel somewhere to like, let me just make sure I am getting everything in? I'll do a little bit of research. I don't necessarily think every single one of those listicles is ever written by someone that has necessarily been to all of those places. Ah, <laughs> and I know uh -huh. that because I'm from the industry. I've done that too. Sometimes you're just researching stories and you're like, well, this is the focus for this month. So let's, you know, pick up all these five places to go eat Greek food. I don't think half the time those people go to all five places to eat that food. It's just what they could gather online. And then they fact check to make sure these places are open and then they publish it. And you will see a very generic photo of some kind of Greek dish and then it gets published. So I, I don't necessarily think that every single one of those lists that you see out there are necessarily experienced in person by the person's byline that you see under that story. So I take everything with a little bit of salt. So I'll, I'll look for what's online. I'll definitely say that if I see a single venue or experience pop up too many times, I might choose not to do that just so that I have time for something else that may be more new or less known about. So I'll try to balance out my suggestions or recommendations for an itinerary based on that. Do you have a focus of travel budget sort of thing? Or if you have a chance to check out the luxury, you do the luxury. If it has to be the budget thing, then you do the budget thing. I will say that at the age I am now, which is in my 40s, I like to have a little bit of luxury. So I'm definitely not the person that's going to be backpacking and staying in hostels. I've gone past that stage in my life where I would be willing to do that. And I certainly do have a thing for nice big bathtubs in hotels. Yes, I definitely like to treat myself to that. And I certainly do like to order in breakfast when I can. That's another thing I like to treat myself with. This might all sound very luxurious, but I don't do it all the time, I promise. But these are little things I like. So I will definitely stay in a budget hotel if I have to, or choose to stay in a vacation rental, depending on what experiences I want to share. But every once in a while, I don't mind splurging. And even on the same trip, for that matter, if I'm somewhere for a week, let's say, I wouldn't mind staying four or five days in a, a less luxurious space that's more of a budget market and then stay for two days at the end in a really nice luxurious hotel this is sort of the mix i was talking about that was targeting with the audience for my own magazine is i feel like people like to have a bunch of different experiences you're willing to splurge one day for a really nice restaurant 
in a five-star hotel, and then you're willing to also eat tacos at the roadside stand. That's fine. Yes, exactly. It also just talks to the not backpacker traveler. That's not the luxury travel also. So there's a whole middle group in between there. There's a whole spectrum yeah. of types of travelers. And yes. you're perfectly fine where you are at whatever stage in life that you are. It's your travel experience. You should be experiencing it the way you want to. Right. Well, so that's why it's awesome. You know what each place is focusing on. Or, you know, like, if, you know, for your preferences. Just to ask quickly, do you accept submissions for your travel magazine? I actually did accept a few this past month. So this year, my travel magazine got funded by a journalism grant. And so we received some money that I was able to put into a couple of different things for the magazine. And one of that included being able to bring in submissions from writers. So I invited personal essay stories that were travel themed and aligned with some of the monthly themes that I have my magazines on, but mostly from writers of color because my grant was for writers of color. So I did receive a really good amount of entries and I just confirmed most of my personal essays um, just this past week. So I'm excited. The next six issues this year, seven issues this year, are actually going to have two personal essays in every issue that will be from a new writer. And I'm very excited about that to be able to share more voices and more perspectives on travel. How was that trying to go through submissions? Was that overwhelming or was it just there's so many great articles? (laughs) It was quite a bit of work. I did have three colleagues who offered their time, their expertise to sort of look at the entries and let me know which ones were good for which issues. I, of course, got the final say on that, but we got some great stories and I'm very excited for all of these to be published on Traveler and Tourists. Also, just ask about the submissions. I don't know how specific your guidelines were, but did you find that most people do follow the guidelines or as soon as you saw somebody didn't follow the guideline, it was just good or not good, but it doesn't fit the magazine? Most people who did realize that I asked for a personal essay did send in a personal essay or gave me an idea for one or two from then, which I picked which ones I wanted. So that part was good. There were a lot of people that just skimmed through my call for stories and did not realize that I was looking specifically for personal essays. So they would send me things like, five things to do in Cleveland or 10 things to do in Atlanta. And I was like, no, hold on. Did you read what I asked for? Right. (laughs) So I was like, go back and see. I very specifically said personal essay. That's exactly what I want. I want a personal perspective on travel aligned with the different multi themes I'm writing for. So then I think a lot of people either came back with something different or didn't choose to write. But for the folks that did notice it was a personal essay, yeah, there were some great pieces that have come in. That's great. I spoke recently with someone who has is a philosophy magazine and he was saying that a lot of submissions are from the outside are just ruled out because it doesn't matter if it's well written, it's just not what we were looking for. So right. I think when you hear it, you say, of course, I'm going to follow the submissions. But then sometimes you just don't. And you're like, how come my stuff doesn't get accepted? It's like, well, first of all, there's a lot of people. And second of all, just the minimum, you have to follow the submissions, the guidelines. Yes, you know, that's... At, at a minimum, for sure. Definitely follow the guidelines. There's a reason why they're out there. Yeah. One more question about the magazine, and we'll kind of wrap up. When you say you got monthly themes, what kind of themes are you talking about? Or how do you determine what your themes are going to be? I definitely have four issues for each of our seasons. So I've got a summer, fall, spring, and winter issue. And then the issues in between are more to do with what sort of activities we're doing. So between spring and summer, I usually have a nature issue and an outdoor issue. After fall, I have like a wanderlust and escape edition. So they're all words, but they're all associated with travel. And then I definitely do a big holiday edition at the end of the year. So yeah, those are our themes, but we, we do have them online too. So people can definitely look them up. The themes that you're talking about are broader categories, not very specific. Like this is the Greek food issue. It's not like that. No, definitely not like that. No. The thing is, there is so much. There's so much to share. 
I don't know that I would I would be able to limit myself to very specific stories. That's sort of the reason why they have the very broad themes. Right. Very good. Travel writing was always something. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm you know I'm starting travel writing tomorrow, but travel writing was always like those are different kind of writers because they go places, they do things. The rest of us sit in our little like hovels. Well, I mean, it totally depends. It's yeah. what industry you're in. I, there are industries out there that you go out and do stories for on the field. So it definitely depends what you choose. But there is certainly a lot of travel in the travel industry for you to enjoy. So yes. It's actually kind of ironic that we started off with you not having been a journalist, partly because of traveling to who knows where, and now you're the exactly. travel person traveling to who knows where. Yeah. <laughs> See how everything comes about. <laughs> yes. Great. Yeah, very good. So we always wrap up with the fill in the blank of I really like it when, and choosing anything you want, soapbox mm -hmm. answer, your off-the-cuff answer of I really like it when writers, editors, publishers, stories, covers, photo i don't do x and i really don't like x how would you fill in the blank for that i'll speak more from from my editorial perspective because i think that would be more useful for folks listening in on a travel writing episode but i would definitely say i really like when writers pay close attention to what their editors are telling them to do in terms of following the broad framework or slant or how they would like something submitted and i really don't like when writers choose to make decisions based on their assumptions of how editors work I don't even have anything to say to that. I'm just, yeah, basically. <laughs> you would think that would be a very commonsensical thing to do is like as a writer, not assume that your editor is going to do X, Y, Z. But a lot of writers do that. They just seem to think they know the publishing schedule of the magazine and choose to just make decisions for themselves, which ultimately just backfires. So please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's probably also because so many writers, just you're not really involved in the business aspect of it. And it seems like the right. editor is the one who has to bridge that between the scheduling and stuff and also the writing part so true well very good very good we're excited thank you so much it was so this was a lot of fun speaking with you thank you i appreciate it i love to have the conversation flowed it was lovely this was a bonus episode of oh my word podcast featuring journalist editor publisher Ruxana hussein to find out more about Ruxana and her work please visit the link in the episode notes to find out more about oh my word podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to follow us on instagram at oh my word podcast please check us out at eltenabout.com Music is by Tim Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.